It's less than six weeks since Norwich City's last game in the Premier League, but in this most unusual of years, we're already gearing up for the first day of a new season. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. I'm Dave Freezer. We're also coming to you on Future Radio 107.8 FM, joined by Connor Southwell in a fetching on-brand pink shirt today, which I'm absolutely loving, and one of our Pink and EP Even News columnists, Terry Westgate. Terry, thanks very much for joining us. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very good, thanks, mate. Excellent. And we'll we'll, uh, we'll need some pink from you on the, the next appearance. We're going to make. <laughs> I think we're going to have to make <laughs> that um, standard podcast protocol, which I'm I'm sure Connor will be wearing for our very first Pink and Live event, which is just before the Huddersfield game. Which I'll give a plug. Nice and early in the podcast too. Thursday, September the tenth, five thirty kickoff. Um, it's going to be a little bit more informal, a little bit more uh, fun. You can, I may well have a beer ready, and you're very welcome to have a beer on hand as well. Um, essentially, we're hoping that at some point, once life gets back to normal, that we're going to be able to do a live podcast event. You know, actually hold one in a pub or a bar, and and really get to meet you guys the, the regular listeners and you can you know we're, have a good chat over a beer maybe maybe after a game something like that the finer details we'll have to wait but for now we're going to kick off our live series on zoom you'll be able to list, uh, to watch on the pink and facebook page as well and we're we're going to look to really have a bit of fun with that and and set the scene for that first league game at huddersfield and the full details of that uh you can find them on our social pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, the details are pinned. It's also on our website, but we'll be plugging it. You'll be absolutely bored of it before we actually kick off, so don't worry. We'll, we'll make sure that Zoom link is uh, is fully available. Um, of course, we're building up to a League Cup first round game where Norwich will have uh, seventeen players unavailable. Um, so <laughs> we'll be getting stuck into that um, shortly. But I just wanted to plough for a few um, headlines first because there's just uh, there's just loads going on with Norwich. You know, it, although it's been pre-season, it's been really, really busy. Um, Terry, I'll come to you on this one first. Um, two and a half thousand fans at Brighton on Saturday for their friendly against Chelsea. It's one of the test events to to start moving back towards normality um what what did you make of, of of what you've seen from that because it actually sounded like the fans made a, made a little bit of um of an atmosphere yeah i mean it's really good because there was a lot of talk um a while ago that actually that fans could enter the stadium but they were going to have to sign a contract that they weren't allowed to sing and they weren't allowed to chant which yeah. i don't know how you could enforce that anyway but obviously that would take the whole edge of going to the game um, and it's going to be a bit weird because it is going to be like, I remember like in the olden days when you used to go to these early League Cup matches and the, there'd only be like 5,000 people in the stadium. But it does sound like, you know, if you can get the right people in there, you can still get a bit of noise made. And I think it's, um, it's a really useful step on the way to getting everybody back into the ground. And, and the pictures were quite encouraging as well. It didn't, they didn't look that spread out. You know, it was one, uh, it's a bit like those pictures we've seen throughout the last few months of when people take a picture of a beach. And if you take it from sort of a, a low angle, you can make it look like it's absolutely jam-packed. But, you know, I, I've been to the beach a couple of times this year and you don't sit within two metres of anyone when you go to the beach, do you? So the, the, if you look at it from um, the bird's eye view of that stand, that'll probably look a lot more spaced out. Um, but Connor, to feed it into the, the Norwich perspective, um, we're still sort of waiting for the exact details, but the, the club are sort of waiting for the, the government guidance on, on when they'll be able to hold test events, aren't they? Yeah, which which would be uh, which would be September if, if they could, um, which I think is is only Preston. I think off the top of my head, there's the, there's one home okay. game in September, um, unless they get through in the cup, and in which case there might be another one. So possibly two fixtures there for for possible test events, and then if not, we hopefully uh, are in a situation as a country where we can welcome some fans back in October. Which yeah, you describe those those Brighton pitches. They're really encouraging. I think for everyone, um, it's got to the stage now where you see highlights on TV and you see from a year or two ago and football rounds are full and it looks a little bit strange. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really odd. Um, but no, I'll be, I'll be really pleased when we can actually go into Carrow Road and there'll be some supporters able to, to join us essentially because uh, David, as I'm sure you can, you can sort of agree being in there with, with nobody is, is a really eerie experience. It doesn't quite feel like football. Um, and I, I think it, everyone's probably realised over the last few months for all the money in the game and, and everything to do with the Premier League that actually the most valuable asset is the fans and what they give to an atmosphere and to a game and um, actually how their contributions can sort of lift the game up and and um, particularly if a team aren't performing well as, as I'm sure Norwich can, can relate to from, from last season as we've spoken about 
there were times where they did need supporters there just to, to G them up a little bit. Um, particularly in that Southampton game, I thought from the, for the first one where it was so big and, and they just needed something. Um, and, and you just felt if Carrow was full, then maybe it, it would have panned out a little bit differently. But um, I'm really looking forward to, to getting fans back now. I'm really looking forward to the start of the new season. Um, and, and hopefully we get to a stage in the not so distant future where we are back to, to a full Carrow Road and, and back to everyone watching um, what, what they love and, and being with people who, who make that experience so great. Um, and, and hopefully that's, uh, that's not too far ahead, although it, it does feel like it at the moment. Yeah, a relegation season is always miserable, but a relegation season behind closed doors, wow, I, I would not want to relive that uh, <laughs> that six weeks, two months again. That was that was pretty grim. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, we're sort of slowly moving back towards normality. Six months now without a, a game at Carrow Road with fans. You know, that Leicester match was February the 28th. And you, you know, a win. You think what the atmosphere was like after that. They then went and won at Tottenham and... There was a bit of hope that there might be a great escape on. But when we get back there, Terry, there are going to be, it seems, yellow and green nets. Now, you're, you're, you've been sort of involved with the long-term Norwich. You're, you're friendly with those guys, aren't you? Which They've been sort of a, a key part of this. And which, uh, which nets did you vote for? I, I was I was quite torn because um, I thought, yeah, I'm definitely Team Stripes. But then when they started showing the videos of the back in the 90s when we had yellow nets, I got very nostalgic for them. <laughs> um, but actually, it's, it's Team Stripes that, that won through. Um, and uh, it's amazing. Fans have been going on about these coloured nets for years. <laughs> I don't know why it's such a hot touch point with people, but everybody was so excited about seeing those coloured nets coming back to Carrow Road. Yeah, about uh, they do look good in the photos when you look back at, at the sort of the early nineties. I guess that's that's got a big part of it as well, isn't it? That the era that they were used for, you know, I think they were used during the UEFA Cup games and things, weren't they? So, yeah. but I, think I would have been happy with either with the yellow or yellow and green. So I, I think that's um, that's a good step. But you, you know what the Premier League are like; they, they'll probably get promoted and be told they have to go back to white. Won't they? But, um, <laughs> if, they, if they get promoted, that's fine. We can we can handle that. Yeah, small <laughs> sacrifice to make. Yes, um, but on the same colour front, colour scheme, maybe I should say, a blue away kit, bluish, bluish teal. There was a, yeah, there's a lot of debate online about what actually colour that, that away shirt is. I think the official term is petrol, I believe. Um, yeah, there was a bit of controversy about it, although personally, one of my all-time favourite away strips was the blue tartan strip that we had back in the 90s, that I've got um, uh, one of the originals in a, in a cupboard somewhere. So although it is rare for Norwich to have a blue away shirt, it's not unheard of. And like I said, I, I, well, I mean, I, you mentioned that Connor's wearing pink today. I'm wearing blue. <laughs> and although I shouldn't say this as an Orange City fan, blue is actually my favourite colour. So actually, I was quite happy to have the blue away shirt. I know that's controversial, but there you go. <laughs> well, I've seen a few tweets and stuff from people who have gone and bought it and have said, oh, it actually does look a bit bluer in real life than, yeah. than it did in the photos and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the kit manufacturer area, they um, described it as petrol blue, didn't they? So, um, but as you say, they they. You know, late 90s, they had a blue kit. Um, along come Norwich, of course, did the masks, didn't they, this year in that yep. tartan blue, which um, which looked really nice. Um, they actually wore blue at Vitesse Arnhem in the, in the UEFA Cup, which um, I was reading was apparently basically a Wimbledon kit, um, which yeah. the Bureau produced at the time. And because Norwich needed another kit, they just quickly adapted one that Norwich could use. Um, but yeah, there's been a bit of controversy over that, but I think most um, most sensible people haven't got too wound up about it. I mean, they'll only wear it a few times anyway, won't they? And exactly. There will, be, there will be a third key as well. Won't and and the, the concept behind it all, of it, it involving the key workers and things like that, that, that was all a, a really nice sort of um, play from the club as well. Um, but just to plough through a couple of other quick bits of news, um, the Community Sport Foundation confirmed they got £175,000 from their element of the rebates from the season tickets and memberships last year. So um, that's really um, helpful for them because they're expecting to miss out on I think it's half a million of um, sort of expected income. So that's really good for them. Uh, a few little loan lines as well. Dan Adshead started for Telstar at the weekend. Sebastian Soto has joined him over there. So we'll keep an eye on them as we do every week. Well, loan watch, um, Dutch second tier, that is. Um, Isaac Thorvaldsen, this is a slightly interesting one. Uh, I heard a little bit of a, of a whisper about this one. Um, 
he was at St Mirren and um, it was only a few weeks ago their manager was describing him as as being built like a tank and being quite pleased to have, have signed him and I remember when he first signed for Norwich, admittedly he was only 16 or 17, but he has had a serious growth spurt, that lad. Um, he was at Fleetwood last year, but only made a couple of appearances. That's been cut short. He's gone back to Iceland. He's gone on loan to um, IA Akranas. Now, I've heard that this all comes from a fallout with the manager, Jim Goodwin, about warming down after a game when he hadn't played and basically said, well, why have I got to warm down if I haven't played? And that didn't go down too well, <laughs> as you can imagine. And they had a bit of a falling out. Now, that's a bit, um, a bit pathetic, really, isn't it, to, to end a loan deal on that. But not particularly encouraging to hear. So he sounds like maybe a lad who's still got a, a bit of maturing to do. But um, again, another one that we'll, um, we'll keep an eye on, see how he does. Aidan Fitzpatrick, he's gone out to Scotland, or back to Scotland, really, because that's where he's from originally. He's in the Scottish Championship with Queen of the South. And this was a cracking one, a little one on Friday as well. Uh, thanks to Rob Nizet, the Belgian left-back for the under-23s, who were playing a friendly at Ipswich at their training ground. He spanked in a last-minute winner for the under-23s just to, to continue the local dominance for Norwich, which, um, well, I know an Ipswich supporting friend, and he, <laughs> he was not impressed at all because he's like, we can't even beat your under-23s. <laughs> <laughs> So um, it's all good fun. But let's get stuck in to Germany. And Connor, if I come to you on this, um, three games, well, no, four games packed into to quick time, wasn't it? Uh, they beat Verl 3-0, Dynamo Dresden 2-0, both you play in the third tier. And then uh, Dynamo, uh, sorry, SV Darmstadt, they played on Saturday, beat them 3-2 and 0-0. They play in Bundesliga 2. So this was really pre-season condensed into the space of about 10 days, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, and, and they only had what two, two and a bit weeks off, so it probably didn't need to be ramped up to the to the degree that it usually is. But um, yeah, I think it's it's always really important to go on a training camp of some kind. I know that obviously um, going abroad for a lot of teams has been really difficult. Um, I, I know West Ham, for example, were, were scheduled to go elsewhere and, and end up going to Scotland, which is probably a, a fairly safe move with, with David Moyes in charge. So um, I, I think first and foremost, it's good that they they got out. Uh, they got out there and it's good they got to some somewhere that they're familiar with, essentially. They've, they've been there a few years before and so they knew the environment they, they were going into, as, as Pad described last week. And I, I just think it's really important for bonding, particularly given how many new faces there are in that squad. Um, but, but for me, in terms of those Darmstadt games, it was, it was quite, and I, I use this term, uh, my perspective is a little bit different, but I, I found it quite sort of interesting and, and positive, the fact that they... They made two mistakes and conceded two late goals, which is probably a weird thing to say. But equally, I think if you go throughout pre-season without conceding a goal, admittedly, yes, it's good for confidence, but you need to know how you respond to that. And it's important not to allow complacency to set in, particularly after you've been relegated into a division where maybe a few players are thinking, well, you know, we should we should just turn up and win. So I think it's, it's important that they had a little bit of a setback, albeit a very minor one, and it was a, a very good pre-season. Um, and it was interesting for me that that really Norwich City haven't changed a lot of what they do. What, what they do essentially, Daniel Farker's gone for sort of evolution as opposed to, to sort of revolution and, and ripping everything up. It's it's the fundamentals are the same. They try and keep possession. Um, it was a four-two-three-one for a lot of it. Uh, slight change in, in how they press and how they worked off the ball, which is good to see, and probably a bit more open to crossing the ball. But beyond that, it was it was Norwich City that, that, under Daniel Farker that we know, you know, and it wasn't. I've seen some people say that if they need to get promoted, it will need to be um, Farkball, which has obviously been the, the popular term 2.0. I think it's probably more likely to be a 1.2 version rather than rather than rather than a complete change, you know. So um, it's it's been really good to see. Obviously, winning it, getting back to winning ways, I think was really important. Um, but of course, it all means nothing. I remember them having a really good pre-season and losing to Colchester 7-1. So yeah. it's 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 really difficult to make judgments about anything. But equally, I think you've got to be pleased with what they have seen and hopefully they can draw positives on it as as they go into Huddersfield. It's just a shame for me this international break has come because it almost, half your squad's gone and, and it breaks the momentum a little bit, which is a shame. But um, hopefully they can draw upon what, they, what they've done in the last few weeks and take that into Huddersfield next weekend. So, Terry, much catch your eye during these games? I mean, Jordan Hugo was signed just before the start of the camp in Germany and was straight into action. Much catch your eye? 
I think I think it was really important for confidence. I think obviously, like you said, it was the, getting relegated was horrible anyway. But getting relegated behind closed doors, it was a pretty miserable experience, and it must have been pretty miserable for the players. But it's so good to see them. Um, they went over to Germany and they were playing that beautiful, flowing, attacking football that we remembered from the last time we were in the championship. The new players have come in; they just seem to slot in perfectly with the team formation. It was great, yeah, to see the new guys you know, on the score sheet. Um, and the com- you could just see that the, the, the camaraderie amongst the players, everything seems to be back on form again. It's almost like we've just kind of forgotten about that, you know, that season that just happened. We'll just pretend that didn't happen. And they've just kind of got back to how they were before all of that. And um, I think it's really difficult as a fan. We're trying not to get too carried away. We think, oh, you know, we're not going to walk the league. It's not a championship. It's a tough, tough, you know, division to be in, but you just watch that football and those players, and you think, oh, we've got such a good squad. That managed to hold on to all our players as well, and these new people that come in and look really promising. Um, so yeah, I mean, I unfortunately I won't be there for all the games, but yeah, I, I'm actually really excited about the new season. Yeah, this is the thing I think Norwich fans have all been hoping, really, isn't it, that the the Premier League relegation hangover won't be quite as bad because of the situation, because they didn't push the boat out, because of that whole financial context to it and, and the long-term project element, that they would be able to do that. And, and clearly, Stuart and Daniel straight away got stuck in, got this new squad in place. And, you know, it's not finished yet. There might still be a couple more to come in. Clearly, we're expecting maybe a few to go out before... Um, it's still quite a while, isn't it? October the 16th for mm. the deadline. So still a long, long way to go. And that could, you know, bring a bit of uncertainty. You know, if one of those lads that we're expecting to be involved, say Lewis or Campwell, is, is just on the bench, then people are going to read a lot into that, aren't they? Um, but yeah, Jordan Hugill, um, Connor, he seemed to make um, a bit of an impact. I mean, Paddy, of course, was out there. He's, he's resting after, I can assure you, an incredibly busy week for, for him. Um, he's sort of ca- catching his breath before we get stuck into the really busy stuff. But he spoke to Oliver Skip, Kieran Dow, Jordan Hugel, and Jacob Sorensen when he was out there. And, and, and Hugel's interview seems to have gone down quite well, doesn't it? Yeah, what was it? It was about, um, he wanted to give the defender one, didn't he? Because he knocked yeah. Yeah, that was that, that made me chuckle. And it's, it's kind of, to an extent, what, what Norwich City have lacked, a, a little bit of a nasty streak that I, I don't think they've necessarily had. And I think Jordan Hugill's always been one of those players. I remember a couple of years ago, him coming to Carrow Road um, with Preston and, and not bullying, he's probably a bit strong, but but certainly letting Christoph Zimmerman know he was there a few times. And, and that was kind of an introduction to English football for him. So I think, I mean, just to have him as an option and, and to play against him for a defender must be must be hell, really, because you're, you're getting elbows, you're getting knees and, and you, you know that he's there. So that that was good to see and, and he does offer them something different um it's going to be interesting to see how much I mean the majority of his goals basically in the championship have, have come with his head so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how Norwich adapt to that and, and get the most out of that and if we see if one of those tweets that I spoke about is is along those lines but in terms of his profile he's exactly the sort of striker that, that they don't have you think if they've got Puki who wants to play on the shoulder who, um, who who likes to get in behind who likes to find space and, and is sort of an intelligent striker Adam Eder who I think is slowly moulding into a more complete striker who, who can probably do a little bit of everything and then you've got Jordan Hugill he's a bit rough around the edges and, and, and will bully defenders essentially and give them a hard time to create space for those behind him so I think variation is the word for me is is, is what Hugill brings and, and they didn't have enough of that last season particularly if Puki wasn't firing they didn't have an alternative um, who could come in and score goals albeit Adam Eder looked very bright towards the back end of the season but probably still a little bit raw so it, it is good to have that that option there to, to mix things up a little bit. And I think he, he does offer that. And he's going to make Norwich incredibly difficult and incredibly annoying to play against, I should imagine. And um, if we did have full stadiums full of supporters, then I would imagine he would be one that would be the the target for quite a lot of stick, you know. But again, Norwich haven't had a player like that for a while, certainly in the last couple of seasons. And, and it's going to be good if, if they do have that at the top end of the pitch, someone who can buy free kicks, who can wind people up, who can rub people up the wrong way. Because they've needed that to an extent and and I know Norwich gets sort of well the supporters certainly don't like the fact that often they're perceived to be a little bit too nice I think he he's certainly going to inject something a little bit different into their play Um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how he fits into the way Daniel Farker wants to play football because it's not it's not a natural fit 
but um, it's it's one that I think could work if if they do it right. And he did play in a very progressive QPR side last year as well. So if they can get the best out of him, for sure they've got a, a striker that everyone knows can can score goals in this division, and um, that takes a little bit of the the heat off Timu Puki. He doesn't need to score the 29 goals that he did last time in, in the Championship if Jordan Hegel's chipping in with a lot more. So um, that's going to be helpful for him this season, I think, because there's going to be less pressure and less expectation on him to reproduce what he did in, in the Championship the last time. And I think that can only be a good thing, um, particularly given how sort of out of confidence and, and how much he struggled towards in, in, in the back end of that Premier League season. So really excited about Jordan Hugill and, and what he can offer. Um, and equally, I think there's, there's probably been, as I'm sure we'll come on to, four or five signings out in Germany who have really caught the eye and have, have really excited supporters. Um, I, I certainly checked uh, check Poeta into that. I think against Darmstadt, we sort of saw glimpses that they were sort of starting to understand how best to utilise him, which is really good. And he, he looked rapid. I mean, the, the, he made the right back look terrifyingly slow. Um, and uh, that again, a little bit of pace that Norwich haven't had. Somebody's a bit direct and, and a bit off the cuff. So it's nice to see Norwich have a bit more variation and hopefully they can carry that into the season. But Hugh will certainly offer them something they don't have, I think. Well, Terry, as a founder member of the Zimbo Appreciation Society, how many goals would it take for you to forgive Jordan Hugh for trying to rough him up? In what I, I think we... I think I'm right in saying Norwich won both of those games 1-0 home and away against Borough that year, didn't they? But how many goals is it going to take? Oh, I'm, I'm, I, I can forgive. I can forgive. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it is, it is a defender's job to be roughed up a bit, so I, I, I will allow it. Um, I, I'm imagining that I'm easy, seem easily getting 10 goals this yeah. season quite easily, um, and I, I'll, I'll forgive him. Well, a couple of goals for Pookie as well in, in open play, which... You know, were his first since um, since that Leicester game in December, which is just mad to think, isn't it? Obviously, it's an unusual time. But um, we have got our usual pre-season survey running um, at Pinkin.com. Um, we've already had over 2,000 people take part in that. So I was just going to quickly whiz through a few of the answers because that feeds into this discussion a little bit. But um, we asked, uh, where do you think City will finish? Obviously, this is before a ball has been kicked in the championship season. But, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, 48% saying top two. 45% playoffs, 7% mid-table and 0% for relegated, um, which might be setting ourselves all up for a fall. Um, most important player at the moment is tied between Buendia and Pukki. Uh, Dale to have the biggest impact of the new signings. And the goals, um, most people say that Pukki will score between 15 and 19. Uh, Hugo, most people saying 11 to 14, and Ida, most people saying 6 to 10. So you can see the pecking order is still there. Is that how you see it, Terry? The, the, the team is very much still the, the man who um, Hugo's got to get out of the team. I think so, definitely. I mean, Pookie has done it, hasn't he? I mean, like you say, 29 goals in a season. How often does that happen? Pookie has proved that he can do it at that level. And Obviously, at the end of last season, you could see his confidence was really had taken such knocking, and he was missing chances that he would have buried six months earlier. I think as soon as he gets that confidence back, which he's probably going to get in the championship because he's going to get more opportunities, um, I can see him easily rocking up the, the goals again. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm not surprised that he's he's number one. He's the favourite because he's been there and done it, and he's you know he can get the goals. But um, I think they maybe shared around a bit more this time. I think you know we've got a lot more options up front now. So I think actually he may not be in the he more likely to get sort of the 15 to 19 rather than the the 29 that he got last time. No, anything less than 29 is a failure. <laughs> I've seen it he's got to get 30 no no um yeah hopefully they can share it around a little bit but you know we all want to see Timmy scoring goals with a smile on his face again don't we because he's um he's yeah. such a good guy and he was such an important part of um of that title winning season so uh, who knows maybe get one for Finland this week as well but we'll come on to that a little bit later um before we move on to transfers I'm just going to bring uh, the listeners a little bit of audio um from Paddy out in Germany and um, we spoke to Daniel Farker and Alex Tetty after those games against Darmstadt on Saturday. That felt like a long afternoon. What's it like for the head coach? Two ninety minutes. I was happy that there was not the third game, if I'm honest. <laughs> so it was a really long uh, afternoon. Yeah, especially because you're also concentrated yeah. and you have to be there with team talks before the game, uh, during halftime. And it was a long afternoon, but overall a good good outcome and important afternoon for us. Yes. What pleased you most over the two games? What, what aspects of those performances were you happy with? Um... 
to be honest, of course, I would have preferred to finish preseason with five games, five wins, and five clean sheets. Yeah, right now the final outcome is uh, four wins, one draw, and four clean sheets. Um, overall, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the preseason. I think in the first game, um, we were all over them, so pretty light with this performance. We were again clinical in front of the goals, created many chances, scored really nice goals, team goals out of different uh, topics. The only thing I could criticize was then perhaps the last five minutes, of course, yeah, because it was unnecessary um, to concede two goals. Actually, this game felt more like a 4-0 or 5-0 instead of 3-2. Yeah, we're a bit sloppy in this in this moment, but um, yeah, after it was just a short preseason. But anyhow, right now also a long period for the lads because since 13 days they are working together without any day off, and uh, also with lots of lots of workload. So better we have this little bit sloppiness in the last five minutes of a preseason game in comparison to a, to a league game. So for that, uh, I can live with this. In the second game, I also got the feeling we were absolutely compact. So 87 minutes, we allowed them, I think, one chance um, where Daniel Barton was there. It was a, was a really good save, but apart from, from that, they didn't come close to a chance. There hasn't been time to <laughs> to do a lot of work, to be fair. It's, we've had one week at home and then we had to come here and it's just games, games, games. Uh, and a and, and couple of trainings where the manager had to get his message across to the new guys, uh, which is he, he has because you can see they are, they are all playing as they've been here for a while, which is pleasing mm-hmm. because you don't want to be using time because the, the, the league starts what, in a week, two weeks or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. And we have official game uh, on the 5th. So uh, it's been good. I'm very impre- impressed with the of the signings, they, they look good, decent footballers, uh, uh, praise to the club, recruitment, they, they, they've managed to get players that fit into what the manager wants, so uh, it's been good. But um, we will continue on with transfers. And I, I mentioned our pre-season survey there. One of the questions in there was, which area of the squad needs strengthening the most before the transfer window closes? And this was an overwhelming result. 89% saying centre-back. So, Connor, if I come to you on this first, um, we've been waiting around for Ben Gibson's situation to move on. And it? and it seems like you're having to be pretty patient, really. Yeah, I, th- I think that's 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 fair. I mean, I've, I've wonder whether Burnley are, are just waiting to to get a centre back in just for for sort of numerical purposes before they they allow Gibson to leave. But um, by all means, it, it, they look like they're they're really keen to see him depart either on loan or or permanently. Obviously, they prefer a permanent deal as every club would with with a player that you're trying to sell. But I think actually trying to recoup that value for him plus getting a and it, it's most likely to be a Championship side that he's going to leave to getting a championship side to sort of cough up the, the wages um, that he's on at Burnley is going to be incredibly difficult. So I think there's, there's probably going to have to be some some compromise probably on both sides for, for that deal to move on a little bit. But again, it could be something that, that Norwich City are forced to wait on a little bit longer. But um, look, he's, he's clearly got pedigree. It fits into that championship experience box that, that Daniel Farker certainly wants. And left-sided centre-back as well. They always tend to be a little bit rarer uh, in terms of the, the market. And uh, homegrown as well, which is obviously a, a, another point that seems to add a, a little bit onto your value. So, if they can, if they can sort something out, and I think they're they're in a fairly healthy position regarding centre backs if if they can keep them all fit. But obviously, I think everyone knows after last season they probably do need one in the building. Um, and if it's Ben Gibson, then then I think they could do a lot worse. Um, to, to be completely honest, it wouldn't surprise me if it ends up dragging on for a little bit longer and, and we see sort of a very similar to, to the Quintia deal a, a sort of loan with, a, with an option to buy if Norwich get promoted that that wouldn't sort of particularly surprise me but um, part of me just wonders whether he's he's trying to get a move back to Middlesbrough which is obviously the the club that he he developed through he's, he's from that way isn't he his, his uncle's the, the chairman at Middlesbrough so he's been training with Middlesbrough since February so I, I think it, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me but equally I think Norwich probably believed that he would like to, to come to Carroll Road so um, yeah, it, it does feel like it needs to move on and, and move on pretty soon um, because it's it's been dragging on for a while now. And if not, Norris no need to I think to to move on and look at other targets if that one doesn't progress because it's um, it's not going to do them any good if if it drags on and then they're they're left without a centre back 
for an early portion of the season, particularly given Grant Hanley's fitness situation, the fact he hasn't really had a pre-season. So um, they could do with one in, in, the, in the building, ideally sort of as soon as possible. But um, yeah, it's, it doesn't feel like they're particularly close to, to anything uh, at the moment, which is probably a bit of a shame. But to be in a situation where I think all your business bar, maybe one or, or, or two, depending on outgoings, is, is a pretty healthy place to be before the, the start of the season. So um, I, I don't think they'll, they'll be too devastating. It is the final piece of the jigsaw. And if they can get it, then um, I think it will, it will wrap off what supporters will perceive to be a very successful window in terms of them strengthening all the areas that it kind of felt like they had holes in the squad. And uh, it certainly feels like, although it's a little bit bloated at the moment, obviously there'll be outgoings. Um, it feels like there's a lot more quality within that squad now and a lot more depth. Um, I remember in January when, when Andre Duda and Lucas Rupp came in, how Daniel Farkle was talking about the need for competition and, and how perhaps they maybe hadn't had that before. And well, they, they certainly have it now. I think Alex Tetty said it, didn't he, to, to pad in, in terms of um, those 10 faces of, of, of almost um, stopped the complacency. They've, they've let people refresh and, and people know they're going to have to fight for their place now. So like, that's only a very healthy environment to have. But equally, it could cause a few headaches for Daniel Farker down the line if he's having to keep a squad of, of 26, 27 happy. Um, so it's, it's, it's a difficult balancing act and, and they do need to get the numbers right. But I expect by the end of the window, we'll see a, a much more streamlined squad with, with probably the options that Daniel Farker wants. And because the reality is they could, they could be five games into the championship season and have 10 players who haven't played a single minute. So that's, that's obviously not a very healthy place to be in, um, particularly given the place they're in where sort of Stuart Webber first came in. And we know that Daniel Farker likes working with smaller squads. So I think there'll be some movement sort of both ways before uh, before the window shut and as you said we've got so so long to go before it does shut um that I don't really think they're in a situation to to sort of need to panic at this stage I think it will it will happen in in due course and it, it just needs a few deals to get done elsewhere and then the chain sort of goes on doesn't it so um that 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 seems to be uh, sort of what's what's holding things up but but hopefully they're in a position where if it is Ben Gibson that they want they're in a position that they can they can welcome him to the club and, and get him embedded into the, into the squad pretty quickly yeah there's going to be a challenge there for getting everyone to to gel together but I think they see Gibson a bit like when they bought Hanley they they spent you know three and a half million to bring him from Newcastle and and that ended up being really uh, money well spent didn't it that season he was runner-up in player of the season obviously he's had his injury issues since then but we saw again last season that, that Grant Hanley is is capable of, of high level um, quality and um, I, I think Stuart um, Webber will clearly you know he will have other options other than Gibson that's how he works isn't he he will have his next targets lined up if it's not going to happen but I think he's uh, probably tempted by the fact that he sees a potential real bargain here. You know, Gibson's a good age at 27, 28, isn't he? He was, it's not that long ago, he was called into an England squad. He's got very good experience in the Championship and the Premier League. I think he sees a, a potential bargain there and a potential player who could become um, a real sort of focal point. The interesting thing, if he were to arrive, um, would be who would potentially go out. Would that mean that then, you know, they would really look to get. Uh, Godfrey sold could it even mean the end of Tim Close's time or would they just carry that extra centre back so that they've got the option of playing three at the back more often um, that's going to be really interesting to see how that one develops and um, Terry I will come to you on Tom Tribal um, during Germany um, Daniel actually confirmed on on the record um, as we've been reporting recently that Leitner, Tribal and Dermich will, will all be moving on. They're not part of the squad moving forward. They're all looking for, for a new club. Um, we've seen uh, in the last 24 hours as we record Tribal being strongly linked with Besiktas in, in Turkey. What, what do you make of, of his exit in particular? The, the other two not particularly surprising, but, but Tom has, has always been pretty popular, hasn't he? I think um, that particularly that championship winning season, I think he did really well for us. I mean, you go back to that uh, game away at Leeds, where there were all those clips of his crunching tackles going in and, and stopping the, the Leeds build-up. And he was, he was really important. I think um, he, uh, well, it's difficult to single him out because a lot of players didn't really perform last season. Um, and I think, but I think it's always very much with Barker. It's about the whole squad and it's about how everybody gels together. And I think if he's just thinking he's no longer part of, part of the plans then he's on his way and I think I think he'll be quite well remembered by Norwich City fans because he was part such a vital part of that championship winning squad and I think that squad is one of those teams that will be looking back in years to come and going on about what a great bunch of players that was so I think um so I think he'll be well thought of but I 
don't think Norwich City fans are going to be, I mean, I don't know, but I don't think they're going to be gutted that he's leaving. Whereas you mentioned some of the other big names that might go for a lot of money, where if like a Godfrey or a Pookie or a Countwell left, I think that would be much more devastating for fans. But I think maybe with Tribal, it's, it's just his time to leave. Hmm. Yeah, I don't, you know, Tom's a, a good egg from all that we've heard, isn't he? He's, he's not someone that's going to have been disruptive. I think he's just uh, almost collateral damage, I suppose you could say, that, in that they needed to, to refresh things and that he's maybe one they thought they would be able to move on, which which is a shame. So I, I'm sure everyone would, would wish him well and hope that, you know, if it is a loan to Besiktas, that it goes w- well. Um, you know, Leitner, that ship sort of sailed a while ago, didn't it? We all... We all know that he is. Well, he was one of the best midfielders in the championship during the title-winning season, wasn't he? And what he's capable of, but you know, things don't seem to have been happy between him and Farker for for a little while. And, and Dermich is just one who you don't sense is uh, is really going to be a championship player. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that one evolves. Um, Jamal Lewis, um, that situation remains interesting, Connor, doesn't it? Because obviously Xavi Quintero's come in, Sam McCallum's come in, um, Newcastle now apparently also keen on him, but not sure that they can afford him. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, it's a really interesting situation, probably for them generally as a club, compared to perhaps some of the names that were getting touted a, a couple of months ago with their takeover. But that's that's a whole other podcast, I think. Um, yeah, it's it's, uh, and, and I probably expect there to be a little bit more to, to come in terms of Jamal Lewis. I think as soon as Liverpool sort of, um, well, make a bid essentially, then other teams are going to be alerted to that and probably think, well, if Liverpool are making a bid, then there's there's probably a bit of a player here. So it's it's probably turned scouting departments from vaguely watching him to sort of analysing him quite intently. Um, and in terms of his career, it's, it's only a positive thing. But realistically, it, from Norwich's perspective, if, if they are to come in, you want them to A, come in with, with a decent concrete offer. And you probably want a few of them to do that, to drive that price up. Um, but in terms of, of Jamal himself, given the whole Liverpool saga and how publicly that was played out, I think it's not particularly helpful for him to have teams interest or, you know, uh, apparently teams are interested. You know, they they need to start sort of putting their money where their mouth is in, in some regard because all they're doing is is, is unsettling a player. Um, and that's not beneficial for him and it's not beneficial for Norwich. But you're right, by the same token, as it stands, they've, they've got three fullbacks in each position. Now, they're, they're not going to need that. So um, you would hope that the, the situation gets cleared up soon in terms of, and they, this sort of applies to sort of all of the, the assets, if you want to call them that, um, that, that their situations get sort of resolved fairly fairly sharpish. Um, interesting that, that Leicester was a name that were heavily mentioned and now they seem like they're, they're looking elsewhere. I think it's uh, Tagliafico who, who they're looking to sign after, after Chilwell left. So it doesn't look like they're going to be particularly interested. And um, Crystal Palace, I think, have, have been a long-term name mentioned, but they signed Nathan Ferguson from, from West Brom. So, again, it, it kind of feels like it's, it's going to drag on for a while. And I kind of wonder whether once we get into the domestic part of the window where domestic trading is only allowed, when that's when Norwich City's players become quite vulnerable. But in terms of sort of the club, they, for me, they need to have a clear cut-off point where just a deal isn't possible because they, they're obviously going to have to, maybe not in, in Lewis's case, but particularly, let's say, if, if Ben Godfrey or, um, or Buendia or, or Campwell were, were to leave, then they would probably need to source a replacement. And, and there needs to come a point where, where that sort of cuts off and they go, well, a deal physically isn't possible for us to... To, to kick on so it's it's a really difficult juggling act it's not helpful for for Jamal I would suggest it's not helpful for Norwich um, and uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's been a really strange window because we've got Ben Chilwell going for 50 million but equally we've got Matt Doherty from Wolves going for 12 so it's it, it feels like a really confused market at the moment and it, you just wonder whether Norwich would be better off hoping all of these players have a really good year in the championship and then hoping the transfer market goes back to its normal crazy self next summer where clubs are willing to to part with bigger funds. Um, the only risk in doing that is that they have a poor season and, and that they're forced to sell them a little bit cheaply. So it's kind of a, a little bit risky, but equally these are players that Norwich City have spent very little on. Um, four of them have come through their academy, haven't they? So in terms of a, a loss, they're still going to be making a, a, a really big profit on them regardless of what happens. But it, it just kind of feels like clubs aren't in a position to spend the money that Norwich City want at this moment in time and because of everything that's happened. So it's going to be a really interesting last month or so of the window to see 
how it shifts because there have been some like Todd Campwell, for example, there's there's been barely no noise around. Um Ben Godfrey there's been a little bit, but but really Jamal Lewis has been the one um who who was who's taken it all. So it's gonna be interesting to see how it develops. But you just hope for, for Norwich's sake and for his sake that everything gets cleared up soon because it's not helpful for for all parties really not to know what situation they're in going into the season. As you said there, you know, if, if, if a player's on a bench, that's going to get read into because of the nature of the transfer window. So it's, it's, it's not helpful. Um, but Norwich were, were probably braced for it. And it's refreshing that if one of those fullbacks do go, whether Lewis or, or Aaron's that they have got sort of options in reserve there already. So that, that's, that's really useful. And you can only sort of praise, I think the, the recruitment that they've done to make that, um, a little bit less sort of uncertain if one of those players did suddenly leave. Well, we barely mentioned him there, but Emmy Buendia, Terry, if I come to you, I mean, I mm. think most Norwich fans just assumed that certainly not both Campwell and Buendia would be playing in the Championship for Norwich this season. But as we edge closer, OK, Buendia suspended for Luton and, and Huddersfield anyway, but as we edge closer, that's becoming a very real possibility. And we saw what they're capable of going forward in in the Premier League. So how excited does that does that leave you as a fan? Really excited. I mean, I'm I'm kind of a little bit nervous about getting my hopes up because I could just see somebody coming in at the last minute for some multi-million pound deal and then they get swept away. But yeah, no, they're both really brilliant, talented players and you know that they will just love being back in the Championship because I'll get so many chances and I'll score goals and it'll be incredibly exciting to watch. If we can hold on to both of them for next year, I think that's probably one of the reasons why Norwich fans are so positive about the coming season, is that some of our key players that we were so sure we're going to go, if they're still there, I, oh, it's just going to be so exciting, isn't it? Mm. I think, to be perfect, and certainly with Todd, I think it might just round them off and finish them off a little bit as well as 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 the complete package because I don't I don't think either of them are, are finished yet. You know, Emmy, there's still definitely parts of his game which are frustrating. He may never be able to take certain things out of his game. You know, you look at Wes Houlihan for, for years. Norwich just knew how to play with Wes, and they knew that he would lose the ball and things like that. But in terms of Todd, he he found it difficult in the championship, didn't he? Obviously, as a young player. Um, do you think he'll? Do you think he'll be able to perform in in the same way, in terms of, you know, you get kicked a little bit more and things like that? I, uh, I, one thing about Todd is that he's got amazing self belief and yeah. confidence in his own ability. Um, I think, um, and I think, you know, he because he has had that season in the championship, he has played at that level. It's not going to be a complete shock to him. He's had like, a bit of experience. He knows what it's going to be like. And the fact that he excelled so much when he went in the Premier League, I think he's going to be bursting full of confidence. Yeah. And I think a lot of the opposition teams are going to be a bit wary of him now, whereas before they didn't really know who he was. But now they've seen him play on the big stage and see how good he can be. I think there'll be a lot of, you know, people will be standing off him a little bit. I. I'm quite I, I've got a lot of faith I think he's gonna I think he's a player like you say who is still got more to come I don't think he's the finished package yet and I think if he has a good season in the championship then he could become real a really good player yeah like with Grealish you know who we're just seeing finally get into the England squad that did finish him off didn't it and that was three seasons I think in the championship as well he had he, he stuck mm. with his boyhood club and he that had definitely made him a better player so that's gonna be really interesting but just while you're talking there, I was thinking that as we sit here today, we've got the prospect of that first home game against Preston. You've potentially got Hooky, Campwell, Stephenman and Buendia as your, as your front four with, you know, Sonani, Poeta, Dowell, Hugill, Ida on the bench. <laughs> I mean, in terms, that's, a, that's a bit ridiculous. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe, maybe we need to take a step back here. We're getting too excited. <laughs> It's never, um, it's never that simple, is it? It's never that straightforward. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. Which segues nicely into uh, the Luton game, where uh, it's, it's essentially, Connor, I suppose, going to be a bit like another pre-season friendly. It, it's not not necessarily going to be that much pressure on winning it if you go out you're probably not going to be that gutted because you avoid midweek games in September because literally second third and fourth rounds all going to be played in midweek in September um and just to run through the players who are unavailable you've got Krull, McGovern, Aarons, Godfrey, Lewis, Sorensen, McLean, Skip, 
Poeta, Campwell, Senani, Pukki, Ida, all on internationals. Buendia's banned. And then we, as we've spoken about, Dermage Light, the tribal, not involved in pre-season, not involved in the squad. So that's 17 players. And we, of course, saw that um, Daniel Barden playing in the second friendly against Darmstadt, an academy keeper that we didn't know much about until recently. This is going to be a very interesting game, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking um, we, we might... You know, if, if we're lucky, fortunate enough to go, we should probably take a pair of boots with us. We might end up on the bench. The way that team is, but it's uh, yeah, it's 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 ludicrous, really, isn't it? Particularly when you consider Luton are only going to miss be missing one player, and, and that's their goalkeeper Simon Slugger, who's been called up for Croatia. Um, I actually think probably Luton are going to be a, a very difficult prospect. Um, I, I think they'll they'll do well this season, actually, well, well in in relative terms. But I, I think they'll they'll stay up under Nathan Jones, who um, who just seems to be one of those managers that that fits with that particular club and, and plays a, a decent style of play as well. So it, it will be a, a footballing game, which is, is is probably something that suits Norwich a bit more. And it probably is decent that they do have this depth that we spoke about earlier. Because okay, all those options are going to be gone, but equally their their front four is probably going to be what um, Josh Martin, Onel uh, Onel Hernandez, Kieran Dowell, and Jordan Hugill. So that's still not a bad championship sort of front four um, even, even for a cup game and uh, he's going to give Dan Barden a, an opportunity which is which I think is going to be crucial because by, from what we understand he's, he's going to be the third choice next season so if heaven forbid Tim Krull does, does get injured then um, he is going to be called upon in some regard so it's it's going to be a good test for him, I, I think, as well. Um, so you have to kind of look at it as a, a little bit of an opportunity. Javi Quintier is still going to play. Um, what Christoph Simmons still going to be there. Um, we're probably going to see Alex Tetti at centre-back again. So I, I think they'll still be able to field a fairly strong squad. Um, but it's, it's fairly ludicrous that we're talking about a game a week before a season that Norwich City are going to be missing 17 players. Um, more if you want to include Hanley and, and Byram in that as well, who, of course, are injured. So it's... Um, <laughs> It's it's laughable, really, the amount of players they do have. But equally, those players that are going to be given an opportunity really need to see it as an opportunity to state their claim, particularly someone like Jordan Hugill, who, um, if he does perform well and does get a couple of goals, then he's really sort of put himself in, in the forks for Huddersfield because Timo Puki is, is with Finland. He's not in the building. So, essentially, Hugill's got a clear week in it now to stake his claim. And, and likewise for, for Kieran Dowell in that 10 position or um, even someone like Mario Vrancic in, in the central midfield position. So there is going to be a lot of um, hope that those players that do play can stake their claim for a place at Huddersfield. And uh, and that's that from that perspective probably does make it a little bit exciting, I guess. And equally for the young players, if, if Bally Mumba is, is going to have to play at right back, then... That's um, considering he was playing in, in non-league last season along with Daniel Barden for, for South Shields on loan. What an opportunity that is in, in the Cup. So th- there's, there's plenty of positives, I think, to draw from it as well. But um, considering Daniel Farker likes to go strong in, in the Cup competitions, and OK, this year might not be the one where Norwich are going to prioritise the Cups. And I don't think any supporters will sort of begrudge them if, if they got knocked out because ultimately the league is the most important thing and that schedule is, is hectic enough, as we've already spoke about, hectic enough without the cup competition so um, it could be a blessing in disguise but equally Norwich will put a team out that, that they'll want to win and, and those players will want to win I don't think any player ever steps onto a pitch not wanting to win so the aim is progression and, and hopefully they can do that and hopefully they find themselves with a, a bit of a stronger squad in the next round if they do manage to do that but I certainly wouldn't underestimate Luton because I think they're, they're going to pose a very um, a very a big threat and equally they've been unbeaten in pre-season themselves they haven't conceded their goal albeit they've played sort of lower opposition but um, it's going to be interesting I think is, is the word I'm, I'm intrigued by the game in general to see how Norwich approach it and see what sort of 11 that, that Daniel Farker puts out Yeah I think they took 16 points from the final nine games of last season to, to survive so they're, they're going to be in decent shape they're going to be up for this game, I would have thought. I think we can pretty much name the team, I think. You know, you've got Barden in goal, who, um, you know, Wales under 19. He was playing for Berry Town at the fourth tier of non-league last year, same level as, as Deerham. So a big step up for him. But you've got Barden in goal, Mumba at right back, Zimmerman and Closer in defence, Quintier at left back, Teddy Brancic midfield, Dowell, Stephenman, Hernandez uh, attacking midfield three, and then Dowell uh, and Hugel up front. So um, I, I don't, I can't see it being too different from that. And then the bench is going to need to be um, going to need to be some some kids in. But um, Terry, just finally, then um, are, are you looking forward to this one, or is your attention more just sort of focused on Huddersfield? You're just sort of 
take whatever comes on Saturday. Yeah, well, I think I do definitely see it as a bit of a, a la- another pre-season friendly, really. I mean, the fact that, the, like say, half the squad isn't going to be there, it'll be a good test because it will be a competitive match. So it's more of a test than the other pre-season games. But I don't really think you can define... The season's not going to be defined by that result. Um, it, like you say, it does give opportunity to players who may end up influencing the season further on. So I think it's going to be a good run out for those players. But I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to be start planning uh, any sort of celebrations if we win. I think it's it's, <laughs> it's just another warm-up game, really, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is, to be perfectly honest. And um, going out might not be the worst thing. But I, 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 if they do go through, I think you have to basically sort of stick with a, you know, it's not a reserve squad, but those players that have got you through in the first round, I'd just stick with them and keep them getting the opportunities. But, you know, if someone really stands out, you know, Josh Martin, of course, we haven't really spoken about him. He's done really well in pre-season. That free kick was fantastic against Armstrong. And I really like the way that the other players sort of cleared the way and let him have it. They clearly had seen he could do it on the training pitches and then he, he put that away really nicely. Um, that, that, so there's, there's loads of interesting things to watch out for in that. But then we'll, uh, then we'll turn our attentions to... Uh, Huddersfield, um, thank you very much. Um, thank you both very much um, for, for joining me today. Um, Terry, we hope we can see you at Carrow Road again not, in the not-too-distant future. Uh, maybe maybe one of the test events in September or something. It's gonna, I don't envy the club sorting out who can go to games, to be perfectly honest. But, uh, yeah, we hope, hope we can catch up with you soon. Um, Pinkin.com, of course, is, is the place to go for, uh, for all the latest news. And, and as mentioned at the top of the show, uh, we're hosting that first Pinkin Live event 5.30, Thursday, September 10th, just a couple of days before the Huddersfield game. We'll be talking everything Norwich City we can possibly squeeze into. Uh, you know, we can go for a couple hours if needs be. So grab a beer, join us. We'll have a, have a chat and it'll be a little bit more informal than a, than a normal pod. But please do join us. Um, the details for the Zoom login and, and how you can watch that are on our, our Facebook, Instagram and Twitter pages. Uh, but for now, thank you very much for listening. You can hear us on Future Radio 107.8 FM on Wednesday nights as well. But for now, enjoy the Luton game and we will catch up with you very soon.